Hey everyone, and welcome to this fireside chat. I'm Zach Strickland, Director of Freight Market Intelligence at FreightWaves, and I'm joined today by Jared Flynn, Operating Partner at BulkLoads.com. And today we're going to dive in to what we're seeing in that bulk market, especially as we're coming out of this COVID pandemic era phase. Uh, so welcome, Jared. Thanks, Zach. Thanks for having me on. Uh, thanks for coming out today. So, you know, I, I, we, we've had numerous conversations over the past uh, you know, year or so about what's going on in the bulk market. And the bulk market tends to be heavily intertwined with you know, the industrial sector, especially in terms of its, you know, the mining and the, and the raw goods and the raw materials moving through uh, the domestic economy and transportation markets. How, uh, how good of an indicator is that for the health of the energy sector and industrial production overall in the United States? Yeah, I think just when we look at tonnage in general, um, it, it's a great barometer indicator of, of the health of the economy. Um, over the past year uh, in the bulk market, especially bulk trucking market, both dry and liquid, um, we've seen it pretty steady. Um, even thinking through COVID, we, we never saw a lapse. And we're dealing with raw commodities. So when you're dealing with these raw commodities and not finished or packaged goods, they're going to keep running through the pipeline. You're not going to see disruptions um, like you do, like, on the store shelves and stuff like that. I mean, a lot of your commodities are going into um, different factories and stuff for, for production to that finished product. Um, so on our side, it was kind of business as normal um, all 2020. Yeah, you know, that's fascinating too, because you're, you, you think about all this disruption to a lot of these supply chains, but you really can't sit on a lot of these products, such as grain, for instance. And grain is obviously, uh, some of these ag commodities, they don't just disappear. You can't just move them to the side. Uh, what, are, what are you seeing in this agricultural sector? You're sitting out there in the middle of the country, and I, I know there's been significant disruption there, especially in terms of exports this year, correct? Yeah, it's it's been a wild ride. And I, I'll go ahead and back up to kind of Q1 of 2020. Grain had been pretty flat for the past three or four years. We've had five back-to-back -back record harvests. Um, you know, our technology keeps improving. Plus, we've just had good weather. We've had good moisture throughout the country. So the farmer, American farmer, they've produced just, again, record after record grain. Um, so that was kind of oversupplying the market, creating kind of a less um, lower prices um, and demand. What was interesting in 2020, we slowly start seeing grain prices kind of kind of creep up. COVID, there was a little bit of a, a standstill. Well, then all of a sudden, China, you know, they kind of emerged um, post-COVID um, and started buying grain. And what was really interesting this fall, typically when you get in your fall harvest, and that's when your, your corn and soybeans, uh, milo, and some of those commodities or grains are harvested, typically you'll see a lot of that get harvested and sold into the market. So again, you get your prices to go down because there's an oversupply. Well, this year was interesting. We saw prices actually keep increasing through harvest. And this has only happened two other times in the last 30 years where prices have actually increased during a crop harvest. Um, and the other one, it was, I think, 2000, I think 11 was the other one. And then even, I think, 99 or 98 uh, was, was the other. So it was really interesting to watch. What I found was interesting, and it, it interrupt me on this because I can camp on camp out on this for a while. <laughs> when you look into this, why, why was China buying all this grain? Well, a lot of you don't realize, and I find this fascinating, if you go back a year ago from there, back in uh, 1819, um, I don't know if you heard about the uh, the swine flu kind of outbreak. Well, there was a big oh, yeah. swine flu outbreak in China. 
Um, they thought that it was going to disrupt uh, the United States. Well, what happened is China lost 40% of their hog herd. Well, that 40% of right. hog herd is equivalent to 100% of the hog production in the United States that was just wiped out. It's one of the biggest, you know, it was, it was one of the biggest consumed meats wow. over there. Um, well, what happened while I'm getting with this, China, they got back online. Um, their government proposed it's, um, for hog production that they were actually going to stop producing, um, uh, having hog producers like in these smaller units and go to more confined. Because over in China, and this is kind of third party, a lot of the, a lot of hog production, it's usually a family. They got uh, a small farm behind their house. They got a couple hogs that they're producing. Well, what do they feed these hogs? They feed them slop. Well, they think that's where kind of some of this uh, swine flu erupted from. Well, the Chinese government came, came in and said, hey, we're not going to allow this small hog production anymore. We're going to move these hogs to some of these bigger commercial confinement units, kind of like we have in the, here in the United States, to limit any outbreak of right. disease. Well, so you can't, you can't feed these big confinement units slop. That doesn't make sense. You can't get a table scrap to do that. So what do they have to do? They have to find cheap commodities to buy, corn being the number one to feed those hogs. So that's what, well, that was one of the biggest indicators. China went in and they just started buying and buying. But you look at this, they, China, they made um, two of the largest purchases ever in 2021 on corn. Um, one was, um, I think, in late January, early Feb, and then one was mid-February. Two largest purchases they've ever made um, on corn. And we're trying to, in, here in the United States, we're trying to figure out why are they buying all this? Well, China, they're looking at that long term. They're seeing grain right now probably at the cheapest level they're ever going to buy. And it's not just grain or not just corn. If you look at it, uh, especially China, they're buying all other commodities. They're buying scrap, steel, all the copper. I mean, all these other commodities that we never even think about, these raw ingredients. They're buying all that right now because they see this right now before inflation hits as being some of the cheapest times to buy. So what are they going to do? They're going to bring that over. They're going to buy those raw materials, manufacture it. And guess who they're going to sell it back to? The good old United States. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. That's impressive. So, yeah, I mean, smooth on their part. Um, now, has any of the, you know, we, we had this kind of lead in, uh, you know, before COVID, where we we're kind of having some of these trade tensions uh, with China. Has that had an impact to any of this? Because I think that they were supposed to purchase or increase their purchasing uh, of some of our agricultural commodities, correct? Yeah, there was a couple, I don't know the right terminology, mandates, but they were they were proposed where they were going to um, buy more in the coming months. And yeah, they've I think they followed through on that. So yeah, I think that's been a positive indicator that that they were going to commit to buy um, more U.S. commodities. And I think just on, I'll use corn for another example, you know, the United States isn't the only country that produces corn. You've got Brazil, you've got Ukraine, um, you got Argentina, um, and there's one other one, but they you know, we compete against those countries on exporting. Well, the Chinese said that they were going to buy a specific amount from the U.S. Well, they well exceeded that. So, um, yeah, it's it's been something. Right now, again, for the for the American farmer, it's it, it's been an incredible year, and they're seeing. You know, even if you look at futures prices, kind of going forward, um, 2021 is going to be another phenomenal year for the farmer, which is good. A lot of these farmers, they they got to have one or two good years because they're usually going to be coupled with four or five kind of mediocre or or, or bad years. So that has to lead me down a path to what happens next. So right now, obviously, we're having, you know, some bottlenecks and supply chain issues uh, throughout the food supply chain network. And 
does this potentially contribute to that problem? I know that they're, you know, if they're ordering in excess of what they were planning to, uh, you know, produce, uh, is this going to create problems down the road? Yeah, we saw bottlenecks all the way this past fall. Again, we had record harvest, but the, the the U.S. farmer, when they're looking at going forward, they're saying, hey, I'm seeing high grain prices going forward. These future prices look really good. I'm going to go ahead and start buying my inputs right now. So I'm going to be buying my fertilizer, my seed. Um, a lot of people don't realize there's a lot of other raw materials or commodities that go into a lot of the grain, um, even propane usage, natural gas, nitrogen, all those inputs all go into agriculture um, and farming. So you have a big influx of that purchasing going on going forward. Another thing, too, about the U.S. farmers is a side note. Like I saw, they don't like to pay taxes. Well, they'll try to spend as much as they can in the prior month to avoid um, paying those taxes on the future month. So that's another big reason that we saw a big influx. Um, but, yeah, I think just in general, tonnage has been really good, um, good, good harvest, good volumes moving. So it's created a, a really good... I guess, a, a bottleneck um, for the industry, which has led to, to higher freight rates um, and very favorable for the carrier. Yeah, so uh, I would anticipate that, uh, you know, again, we're starting to see some of these freight rates sort of come back down uh, in the other modes, such as drive-in and reefer. Uh, has bulk had the same kind of curve on it that we saw in the other modes? Is, you know, or is that like starting to change or i mean it sounds like the grain sector uh, alone could probably keep that pretty elevated for a while correct yeah we see some natural corrections especially on the grain side usually january there'll be a little bit of uptick because uh, a lot of farmers they'll defer selling or marketing the grain to the new year again for for tax reasons um, february we see a pretty uh, a little bit of a blip um uh, it will kind of get depressed on movement. March, a lot of farmers are, are more focused on planting and their inputs. So we'll see usually um, demand kind of be a little bit lower than that. But then once you get in kind of more of your spring, summer months, obviously you get into wheat harvest. That's a big uptick um, on demand. And, and then just your other, um, just your natural spring flows and commodities that move landscaping, um, aggregates and stuff like that that really start to boom construction. Yeah. Uh, so when they're trying to get some of these commodities over to China, I know there's been a container shortage, uh, you know, and, and obviously there there's issues getting freight back over to China mm -hmm. as a lot of these, uh, the maritime side, not necessarily picking up all the containers here is they're rushing. They're making a bad dash just to get back to get some of those premium uh, head haul rates, as we like to call them here. Yeah. Um, are we seeing any problems there with some of these exports? Yeah, it's interesting. So when you look at grain getting exporting in containers, it's always been more of a, a subsidy, well, I shouldn't say subsidized, but kind of a, a loss leader um, for export. A lot of times that grain getting exported, they're not, they're actually losing money taking it over there, but they're getting some kind of compensation. So say it takes, I've just thrown out a number, but say it costs 1500 bucks to move a container from Chicago over to, to Kaohsiung, Taiwan. Um, they can get a lot of times to make the, the, the numbers work for export. you got to have a certain rate to make that work. So typically, I may call it a thousand bucks that they can that they can book a container with soybeans going over there. You know, so they're going to lose 500. The thing is, right now, they can't get enough containers over there fast enough. So they don't even care that that, that margin means nothing to them. You know, it, it's, right. it's, it's more cost effective for them just to get that empty over there as quick as possible versus trying to get it out to an exporter or getting it to a yard where they're going to load it full of soybeans then get it to a rail yard right. where they're going to ship it out. Um, the other thing, too, just right now, uh, I would even say almost our rail sector, um, it had been pretty flat over the past couple of years. 
Well, we're seeing it with this export market um, really, really increase. And you got, you know, you got your markets in New Orleans, you got your West Coast, your PNW, you're up in uh, Washington and California. Uh, but we've seen tonnage on the railroads dramatically increase, which it wasn't before. So it's been very favorable for, for them. And typically you can get so much more grain moved um, just that much faster that way versus container. Right on. So are there other commodities seeing any kind of similar you know, growth or maybe even some anomalous declines? Is there anything there that on the other end uh, that you're seeing that's moving a little bit more frequently or even less frequently? Yeah. So with grains, they tend to always follow each other because if you think about it, they're going to be competing for um, for planted acres. So if corn's going to start rallying, you're going to usually see soybeans rally with it. Um, here recently, we've seen even wheat start to rally because the farmer, they're looking at prices going forward and they're like, where can I get right. you know, my best return? You know, Is it going to be planting corn, soybeans, wheat, milo? Um, so a lot of, we've seen a lot of these kind of come up. But at the same time, as I mentioned before, um, we've seen fertilizer prices come up because a lot of that's contributed to with natural gas and propane. And we've seen just with the price right. of crude oil and all that kind of follow. So typically you're going to see all commodities kind of kind of rise together just because they're all competing on that same same space. Yeah, that's fascinating to watch. I know that, uh, you know, I, I preach this all the time and my and on my side of things uh, as everything's pretty interconnected, you know, just because you're you know, you can kind of isolate in one area. Uh, but like the reefer and van side of, of freight tends to move together and even the flatbed side moves with it. Um, and it sounds like, I mean, a lot of this, a lot of trucking capacity in general moves together. It's interesting to hear that commodities, you know, such that can be, you know, almost seemingly, uh, you know, so disparate in their, in their use case, such as, you know, petroleum products and, uh, and uh, grains can move together. So the, I, I guess one of the biggest questions I would have moving forward is, is you know, do we see a sense of some sort of new balance or new equilibrium forming uh, as we're starting to see these cases fall a little bit? And it, I, I wouldn't say that things are getting clearer, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, but they're certainly starting to move towards an end versus where they have been. Are we yeah, seeing any of that? In my opinion, I guess for me, I'm watching crude oil prices and diesel fuel. I think that's going to really be an indicator on kind of where we're going to see. I mean, obviously, fuel goes up, freight rates go up, but you see a lot of your modes even change from that. So typically, and I've explained this before, I think on some previous broadcasts, but for your bulk commodities like we're dealing with, most of your big modes of transportation really favor and compete on that. So I'm talking about your vessel, barge, rail, and then truck. Um, and we'll, like, we'll just kind of camp out a little bit. For rail, for example, railroads, they love moving massive volumes, long distances. That's where they make the most amount of money. Well, what can they do that very well with? It's usually your coal, um, your grains, I mean, any of your big bulk commodities. So what happens is, you know, if you get, you get fuel prices getting up to a certain amount, um, all of a sudden it looks, you're, it, it's easier to price that stuff or more affordable price that on rail. They're going to compete so much better than a truck. You know, once and there's not really, I can't say a specific, you know, price, but you get into that three plus four dollar um, per gallon fuel, it's going to make more sense to put that on a rail car, um, shipping it, say, 200, three or 400 miles versus on a truck. So what that does, it kind of 
depresses truck capacity on long distance, but it's going to favor a bit more on the on the short hauls. So that's where we're, you know, it's it's really interesting to see kind of how this stuff can kind of morph. You get your higher fuel right. prices, you're going to see more stuff kind of shift on the rail, less on truck. You're going to see more of your truck more on local moves, you know, that 100, especially when you deal with what we're dealing with in the space with the grains, you're going to see more of that stuff move, you know, 80, 100, 150 miles versus 250, 300 miles. Right. So the average length of haul for the grain sector is, is pretty short. Pretty narrow. Yeah, it's it's interesting. We we get that question asked all the time, and it's so much smaller than regular trucking. Um, just right. because you have a lot of these small pockets of these grain elevators and farmers that are usually going to truck to um, within probably 60, 70 miles to a grain elevator. That grain elevator is either going to put it on a rail or they're going to take it to um, some kind of barge um, or river market where it's going to get shipped on a, a barge going down the river. So yeah, it's, it's so much smaller than the general truckload. Right. So a lot of small movements, not a lot of long, long, long haul movements. Yep. So, you know, we've had this huge winter outbreak here in the last couple of weeks, uh, obviously in your section of the country being hit relatively hard and especially in the grain belt, uh, you've gotten a lot of snow. Yep. Um, do you think that this is going to have an impact uh, to some of the planting cycles or anything like that into uh, you know the middle of the year? Yeah, so a couple of different things. Short term, um, one thing we didn't even talk about was just salt movement. So when we get heavy amounts of snow in winter months, um, we see a lot of salt movement, um, especially in the Midwest. We got there's several different uh, plants. One in Lyons, Hutchinson, Kansas, that they truck salt that really covers most of the Midwest um, and even beyond. Um, so short term, you're going to see a lot of bottlenecks and congestion um, trucks moving that salt um, to these um, cities and state municipalities um, to get that on the roads. Um, that's one big thing. Um, when we get cold weather like this, your feed rations and demand go up. When snow's on the ground, you're going to see, you know, cattle um, and other livestock, they can't, you know, they can't scrummage and eat what's on the ground so the feed rations are going to go up so you're going to see more truck movement um, on your general commodities um, from a farming standpoint um, farmer loves to see moisture so we got snow on the ground so this is favorables um, looking going forward so a lot of times the more moisture we can get now it's going to be just that much more favorable as we get into planting season to have that in the ground all right so I got one more question before we wrap up here and that is to put you kind of on the spot here and ask you all right so the bulk sector is obviously having a rel relatively successful uh, experience uh, over the past 12 months or so. Um, what do you think is going to happen over the next 12 months? Do you think we're going to continue to see some growth in the sector? Is it going to remain volatile? Or uh, what, what do you think is going to happen next? Yep. I'm personally optimistic in the market. Um, I think that trucking, especially in the bulk sector, um, is going to have high demand uh, through the rest of 2021. Um, we're looking at prices. We're looking at the export market, um, even fuel prices. I just I don't I don't see it, it going down. And um, when grains up, I mean it, it's going to move a lot of other things. So I think it's a good time to be in, in the grain market. And and I, sh I I'll say either way. There's been times where I tell I tell people that it's probably not a good time to be uh, to be in the bull calling market. But um, yeah, right now I'd be very optimistic. Very good, very good. So you don't think the dri any driver recruiting issues or anything like that going to create any problems in the future? I think it will. You know, one thing, and I'll end on this, drivers tend to favor bulk hauling, especially in the ag sector, um, in my opinion, over a lot of others. Number one, it is more localized. So the driver can be home more frequently. Um, a lot of times they're not messing 
um, delivering into congested areas in the cities. Uh, a lot of times they're delivering more in rural uh, areas, feed mills, and, and different places where they're just not, you know, it's just, they're not going to experience a lot of the stress that drivers normally do um, on the open road. So in that aspect, you know, we never have, yeah, everybody's going to have their normal driver um, recruitment, but retention on, on the hopper stuff usually is pretty positive. Um, we see, uh, but I think that can also be a negative in, in the sense that sometimes we almost get more drivers wanting to run hopper freight. Um, so the market, or so you can actually have an oversupply of drivers and therefore maybe even line haul pay being a little bit lower. Yeah, very good. Well, you know, it, it has been a wild ride, but thank you so much for uh, for joining me here today. And thank you everyone for watching. Uh, hopefully you're enjoying today's event and stay tuned for more on uh, FreightWaves.com. Thanks for watching. Thanks, Jared. Thank you, Zach.